Hey everyone, this is Ben Fleischacker, SMU product developer for Shields. I do everything Shields Outfitters and Shields branded. You're tuning in to Shields Outdoors podcast. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and today we're going to be talking about trapping. With me today is Ben Fleischecker, who is an avid bird hunter and dog guy, and that makes sense why he's also an avid trapper. First of all, Ben, how'd your bird season go? You know, bird season wasn't too bad. We had to travel around to get on some birds, and uh, it's always fun to travel. I think we did seven states this past year chasing upland birds from the woods to the prairies to the the lower elevation mountains out in eastern Wyoming and uh, eastern Montana, central Montana. It was a good time. Uh, Birds were pockets. Uh, Overall, definitely, definitely excited. Had a couple young dogs, and we ran the young dogs, and they did well for for this first season. Uh, they turned about 12 months old right into the beginning of pheasant season out here in North Dakota, and it was good. I miss it. You know, season's closed up here, and we got to travel now again. We're gonna, we got a couple more trips to finish out the season down south in Nebraska, Kansas, and I don't think we're going to make it down to the southwest part of the, the, uh, the country, unfortunately. However, hopefully next year. But, yeah, I'm sad because it's over. But mm-hmm. you know what? We, we definitely filled the freezer and got onto a bunch of different bird species, so it was good. That's great to hear. Uh, yep. What are your thoughts on the overall populations? You know, everything looking good? Uh, you know, in the Dakotas and then I would say even into the, the Minnesota and northern Iowa areas, I would say the hatch was probably the best I've ever seen, to be honest with you. Uh, the carryover adult birds was pretty low compared to the year before, uh, although I think we're going to go into this next year in a very, very favorable you know, position. Uh, the habitat still looks good. You know, we, we're definitely getting the winter storms now, and so there's going to be that die-off that always happens. But they're wild animals, and it's amazing how much they can endure and survive. And um, I'm very optimistic in going to next year. I think we'll be in a better position next year than we were this year. Mm-hmm. Great to hear. And, you know, that's kind of a decent segue into what we're talking about here, and that's trapping. You know, yep. that has a, you know, a, a big influence on, on bird population levels. So for you, what came first? The love for bird hunting or the love for trapping? You know, that's tough because as a kid, you know, we had squirrels in the backyard. You know, I grew up in eastern eastern Nebraska for the most part, and we got fox squirrels freaking everywhere. And so, you know, as a kid, you're always trying to dink with that and mess with them and try to trap them, whether it's a have a heart style or cage trap or, you know, making your own snares out of copper wire, or brass wire, or something like that. But uh, for me, it's always been bird hunting first. You know, I grew up in a family. I just had this conversation with a friend last night that, I didn't grow up in a deer hunting family, which is very odd, you know, for most of the United States. I grew up in a bird hunting family with bird dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uncles hunted, my stepdad hunted, uh, all my friends, same thing. We just never really were associated with the, the deer hunting. So getting into the bird hunting with bird dogs was definitely the first passion Then kind of transitioned. Um, in college, I did an internship with an NRD and uh, USDA office as well, and kind of a co-partnership their deal. And I was actually, that's where I got really involved into, into trapping is I started doing trapping for uh, water, water nuisance species like your muskrats, your beavers. Um, you know, it kind of evolved in there into doing more land trapping. And that's kind of where I've, 
I've landed in my life is I like the dirt versus the water. Um, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't mind. I just processing the fur and dealing with the fur after the fact, I'd rather be on the dry land than the water stuff. Uh, however, we still do it, you know, and I still love it. But, yeah, I mean, it was bird dogs first, then it turned into trapping. And ever since then, it's kind of been a, a marriage between the two. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, like, when you're talking about as a kid just trapping squirrels and whatnot. Yeah, and, you know, rabbits. it's just – it's a great way to get people into it too, mm-hmm. get people excited about trapping. So can you just kind of briefly cover like the benefits of trapping? Like why, why is it so important? You know, and that's, man, we need more than 30 minutes to talk about that. I mean, it's that's kinda, why I said briefly, <laughs> you know, it depends on what pillar you want to talk about here. I mean, you can talk about from, you know, I think first and foremost, the majority of people get into trapping now is uh, for habit, not habitat, excuse me, for, for the actual wildlife land management, you know, principles in that, meaning that, you know, you got coyotes, you got fawn killers, you got turkey population, you're trying to work on the bobcats, the coons, nest raiders, the, the chick eaters, everything else, and the coyotes, I mean, coyotes got a really bad rap, you know, and rightfully so in certain situations they've earned it, but uh, out of all, and this is derailing it, but out of all the animals I've ever trapped in my life, a coyote's got my most respect. You know, any of those canines are just a little bit smarter, you know, and, um, but going back to the, your original question there, Mike, uh, depredation trapping as well uh that's gotten into a lot of people you know they're killing their farm animals or chickens uh you know back in my previous life i used to do a lot of depredation trapping for people and it was all centered around the livestock and so it kind of worked out in my benefit because it it helped me get on some property and everything and the unfortunate thing though is that sometimes you're dealing with these animals when they're not in prime meaning their fur is not going to be worth any money however there's still a lot of money in those carcasses because you got the glands uh, you got the skulls, you got the claws, right? I mean, there's a, you know novelty market for that, but also selling your your products to trapping companies because they need coyote glands, they need muskrat glands, they need bobcat glands, beaver caster. I mean, there's just so much more money into that if you still really dig into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it's about just managing the herd. You know, I mean, we can do that for a lot of animals. Uh, trapping, in my opinion, is far more successful than calling. Um, I don't know anybody that can necessarily argue that that statement because you got trap working 24 seven. Yeah. You know, that's calling. exactly what I was going to say. You know, you're working full time there instead of just, you know, going out and doing yep. a set. Well, I mean, it's nice that you can move around and you can cover a lot of ground mm-hmm. versus like your trap is in one spot, but yep. you know, it's kind of that trade off, like seeing a whole bunch, but, or being there at all times. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I don't know. I still probably like to trap more than I would like to call, but I still love to call coyotes, call mm-hmm. bobcats, coons. I mean, there's setting up at night over a tree pile. There's nothing more chaotic than, than doing that at night with the coon. Oh, I 22, bet. 17, <laughs> and just, you know, turn on the collar, and it's just absolutely incredible. I mean, it's a lot of action. It's a lot of fun, way more fun than it is setting a trap line. However, I like that chess game a little bit more with the trap line uh, because, I mean, it's a game of inches, essentially, at the end of the day. But, yeah, so going back to it, I mean, just from a, a simple fact that it's not about the fur, it's about managing the population, right? I mean, uh, certain parts of the country deal with mange more than the other ones. Uh, obviously, up here in the Dakotas and northern Minnesota, uh, even Wyoming, I mean, you just go across the northern tier of the country, there's still mange. It doesn't matter. The problem is that we don't see the mange as much because those animals are dying because driving in this morning, you know, the air temperature was negative 17, you know. Anything with mange ain't going to survive negative 17. However, you start getting farther south, you start seeing more mange because the temperatures are are still nice and so it's not killing them off like it normally would um mange is very very brutal you know mother nature is brutal right well i'd rather take advantage of the the opportunity to, to harvest that animal 
or to trap that animal, to shoot that animal, and then utilize whatever I can from it versus just letting it rot, you know, just going to a waste. Uh, coons are a huge problem, not only for people that are running trail cameras, you know, eating their corn or their attractant. They're nest raiders. They're, they're very intelligent animals. They're a lot of fun to work, to trap. Uh, they're a lot of fun to do everything with. I love coons too. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they don't make a lot of money on the fur line. And so they plug up a lot of coyote sets. You know, I'm, I think I'm probably the world's greatest coyote or raccoon trapper <laughs> just because I'm trying to get coyotes. I don't focus very, very seldom do I ever focus on coons, but they always get into my traps. Right. And so I, there's tricks and traits you've learned, you know, over the years that you can avoid the, the non-target catches like that. However, yeah, I mean, the coon population um, and even, you know, jokingly about this, you know, growing up, you know, it wasn't uncommon for you guys to, you know, you're driving home or you're driving out in the country, you're driving to your hunting lodge, driving to a fishing spot in the fall or something like that. Hey, guess what? You see a coon or coyote running across the road. Guess what you do? You Turn it into it, a right? coon or a yeah. coyote, on right? It. Of course. Right? You know, <laughs> I don't think that's happened as much. Um, and so this population just continues to grow. And even with trapping, um, depending on what circle you run in, it's got a negative impact, right? People think a trapping is a bad thing. Well, I, I would venture to guess that there's – I'm, I would fall into a population of people that love their dogs when they love their own people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my dogs are everything to me. I'm still a trapper, though. I still run a trap line. However, my bird dogs are extremely important to me. Why would I be a trapper but also have bird dogs and still enjoy the two of them? Well, it's because they go in the same, right? I mean, I'm not purposely, and I don't think anybody out there is maliciously trapping um, non-target species like cats or dogs or something like that. Uh, however, it does happen at times. And so when that does happen, and I've, I've been in this position before getting phone calls because you got you know, you, you, uh, you to tag your traps with your contact information, depending on your state rules and laws and everything. On all my traps, I got my name, my cell phone number, driver's license, whatever else is needed. But I go overboard because I want that person to call me. If you got a problem with it, let's talk about it. You know, if, I, if I'm legally trapping somewhere, which I do, right, Anybody, most people do as well, and if something bad happens, your dog ran away, your dog went on a little walkabout, or your farm cat or the house cat went on a little bit of a walkabout, well, let's talk this through. Like, don't just don't throw trappers under the bus. Mm-hmm. Trapping is doing more for the environment than whatever you're doing. Shooting them off the road or, you know, seeing them in the headlights or something like that or going out calling. Trapping is doing more work for you. The issue is that traps don't, they don't care what it is. You know, they don't care if it's a coyote. They don't care if it's a once-in-a-lifetime melanistic black bobcat. Or if it's one of my dogs, Ellie, it does not care what it is, right? So that's where it gets into a little bit of a kind of a gray area. Um, but at the end of the day, you can't, you can't argue the fact that trapping is successful, that trapping, when done properly, is successful and it's not cruel to the animal. Uh, it's, you know, constraining the animal. It's not killing the animal necessarily, depending on the type of trap, of course. But, uh, but the impacts that you're benefiting the, the other environment that a game species right i mean your pheasant your quail your chickens your grouse your whatever it might be your deer your antelope i mean the, the list goes on and on and on and um there's a lot of research out there right now in the world that's easily attainable through the internet but it talks about when you your timing of your trap line is very important you know you can do all the you know there's so many taglines out there on social media about you know when you see a cow turn. We just talked about right. You see yeah. a cow turn into a cow hunt, or if you're deer hunting and a cow comes through, you shoot the coyote, right? I get it, but are you not benefiting any animals by killing that coyote that time of year? The answer is yes, you are benefiting. Now, are you going to make an impact in the springtime where it's most important, 
when it's the nesting season, the breeding, or the, I shouldn't say the breeding season, the, the whelping season for deer, for big game animals, um, the answer is you may not be making as big of an impact as you think you are because new critters always move in, right? I mean, at night, there's a reason why you hear coyotes howl. You know, coons, they still make noises. Um, they make a lot of funny noises, but they still make noise. They're still going to move in if they got the habitat, right? If you build it, they will come. Well, the same thing with the, the non-things that you don't want. Like mm-hmm. the predators will still move in if you have habitat. Why? Because it's the only habitat you got, and that's where the game animals are, and that's where they're going to come. And so it is very important to make sure you're trapping at the right times of the year. Now, depredation trapping, you don't have a choice. You trap when you got it. When you get the phone call saying, hey, my sheep, my, the sheep, the chickens, the ducks, the calves, the whatever it is, are dying, getting eaten, you trap. You know, fortunately for a lot of places I trapped, it was always a uh, – or at least for the cattle, it was a January, February time frame when the cow, when the calves would drop, and so that's when I'd really you know ramp up in the first grade. It's not the best it's ever been, but it's still not broken up too bad in February. Yeah, it's pretty cold at that time, so you yep. think you're gonna have some pretty decent yep. fur there, boy. You uh, you spit a lot of information out there. <laughs> yep. I'm just trying to wrap my head around all of it, and uh, you know, like for for a lot of people out here, like getting into trapping okay a lot of them are going to be hey i have land i want to start managing my property that's that you know that's growing and growing like i want to i want to see more deer i want to shoot more deer i want to have more pheasants on my property when you when you're doing your trapping what is the best timing to to make the most impact on something like that you know i'm a firm believer of that later in the season trapping um it's not necessarily as much of a numbers game as it is a benefit to your property you know, if you want numbers and if you want stuff that's easier to trap or easier to everything about life is easier, then it's fall. Yeah, because that's like the like the breeding season. Well, right? yeah. Well, depending on the animal, but like cows right now are locked up typically. Like they're paired up. So if I was running a cow line right now, I would never set just set a single trap because mm-hmm. typically they're paired up. Um, it typically right. I mean, they're wild animals, but in the fall, you got first year dogs, first year critters. I keep on saying dogs, sorry, just because I like cows more, but. Um, you got the, the young of the year, and they're dumb in general, right? So they're easier to trap. They're easier to get onto. The weather is typically way nicer. You're not dealing with the rain, the freeze-thaw. Uh, something right now that a lot of states are going through right now is the freeze and thaw. And so not necessarily in the Dakotas or, you know, Minnesota or something like that, but during the day it's warm, then at night it freezes. So what that's doing is it's totally ruining your sets. And so there's, you know, there's things out there. You can do wax dirt. You can do... Uh, the antifreeze flakes, you can do salt, you can do wax paper. I mean, there's a lot of different things a person could do. Um, but in the fall, you're typically not dealing with that because it's still somewhat nice. And mm-hmm. majority of animals, depending on your, your region in the, in the country, is actually they prime, start priming up in November. You know, so a November coyote is a really good dog still, depending. But because everything's, you know, and this is, you know, not to get into a controversial topic, but length of day. So, you know, I can look at my, I run dogs that have shorter hair, you know, uh, pointers and then short hairs and stuff like that. They don't have long hair. They're not like a Brittany or not like a Setter uh, or a Golden Retriever or anything like that. But it's incredible because as they, you know, as we go through in the fall, you know, and they're inside, outside dogs, so they're just not strictly outside. But the density of their coat is incredible. It's insane to think that they can build that much fur on them. But the temperature, the length of day, every single fall and every single spring, guess what? They do a dump. It's like they're a brand new dog, and we got you know 15 other dogs in the house because we got so much dog hair. It's the same <laughs> thing with these critters is that they start building that fur up sooner, right? I mean, it's think about a deer mm-hmm. or an elk. You know, they're still looking for shade if it's 20 degrees outside. They got a winter coat on. They don't want to be in the sun necessarily right away. Um, and so, yeah, 
If somebody's looking for numbers, looking for ease, I would definitely say fall. But it's typically not necessarily conducive because you got bird hunters, you got deer hunters, you got everybody else out on the property. Um, I strongly encourage nobody to be on public land, period, until hunting seasons are over, just so you can avoid any conflict. Uh, we have, as a trapper, we have just as much right to be on that property as anybody else does. But at the same time, let's get along, you know, type deal. And it's just common courtesy in my opinion i know when i'm running bird dogs like we've already established i mean i love running bird dogs um i'm very disappointed when i see someone's trap line when i'm running bird dogs and now i've conditioned mm-hmm. my dogs you know there's st- again they're still dogs but i've conditioned my dogs when they start striking some of that scent to work off of it um all my dogs have been in a foothold on purpose so they know i've worked with them on that so that way they get into a snare they don't freak out uh certain dogs will actually go through a snare feel around their neck tighten up and they'll just stop other dogs will absolutely lose their freaking mind, and that's not good, because then that means that they're the snare is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, instead of the to make more impact, I feel like in the wildlife populations, it's going to be that late winter, late winter into early spring. Now you got to you got to follow your game regulations, but most states don't have a coyote season. Coyotes are fair game. I, I would say that coyotes are definitely they've earned that reputation. You know, because how many trail camera pictures have we seen floating around of you know, a fawn in, in the mouth or a leg or a head or something like that. Uh, same thing with turkeys. Now, the nest predators is my main focus, you know, later in the year. But that season's usually closed at the end of February. And so I'm really, really hitting hard. The skunks, I love skunks. Uh, there's a ton of money in skunks, and people actually took a little bit more time in it. Obviously, you know, you do have to deal with the smell. There are ways around that. But uh, the skunk essence is really, really expensive uh, to, to purchase. And so you can sell that and sell, actually sell that for pretty good money. Um, but yeah, there's will, a demand out there for that. Huh? There is. And it's crazy because even the fur prices, you know, I was just talking to one of our trapping companies last week about this. Um, cause he called me and asked me, he's like, what's going on? Why are you guys still ordering so many products? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know because the fur prices are not the reason why the, the trapping industry is blowing up right now. Like mm-hmm. it's absolutely incredible how much business, uh, Shields has been doing here recently in the trapping segment. But, it, you know, in my opinion, it's kind of going back to the, the original reason why you want to do this podcast. You know, it's about people managing their property. You know, people want to reduce the amount of predators so they have more game animals. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And that's, and that's 100%, in my opinion, driving the, the business. I mean, people got more free time. You know, we got the COVID stuff going on still. You know, it's definitely social distancing. <laughs> yeah. There's no better way to social <laughs> distance know. than run a trap line. Exactly. Uh, and it's a grind. I mean... And that's one thing that, you know, when somebody's looking to get into it, I mean, you can get into trapping very reasonably priced. I mean, you don't have to spend a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. Now, when you start getting into a big time, you know, they call them long liners, you know, so a long liner is a person that's running a ton of traps. You know, back when I was hitting it super, super hard, I mean, I was trapping four, four months of the, se- of the year, you know, even during bird season, I'd always be on private property. I'd be always be in pastures and everything, pull the line during deer season. But uh, yeah, I mean, hundred traps per line, three different lines each and I'd be running that every single day. Um, back in Nebraska, there's a 24 hour trap check. So you're literally checking your traps every 24 hours and just out of common courtesy, you know, I don't want to see an animal stuck in there any longer than it needs to be. Yeah. Um, but the farther North you get, it doesn't matter, you know, cause they don't necessarily make it through the night. Right. Because it's so cold. Um, but still a 24 hour trap check. So it's just kind of a good rule of thumb, except you've run, um, like the far Northern lines, they do a lot of Fisher, Pine Martin, stuff like that run a conibear set um it's doesn't matter because they're instantly killed you know because it's breaking the neck um but yeah 
I don't know. I would still, if I wanted to impact game animals, I would definitely be focusing more on this time of year right now, January, February, March. Um, if I wanted to do more for the fur shed, it would no, November, December. Okay. Uh, things get a little bit more cagier after deer, rifle deer seasons. Um, it, it's anywhere you go, but it's yeah. because every single coyote that somebody sees raccoon, they're shooting or shooting at. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, because it's just there, there's been that many more people out in the field. Yep. So yep. it's just a disturbance to their natural environment. So it exactly. just makes a lot of sense for that to happen. So, okay. For somebody that want, like is interested in this now, hasn't trapped before, doesn't have any equipment, um, you know, just wants to get started. Like what exactly do you need gear wise to get started trapping? It all depends on the species. So let's just say, let's just say I'm a, I'm a landowner that's trying to improve my habitat and I want to get rid of some coyotes. What do I need? How do, how do I start? You know, essentially a per, it depends on kind of, if you want to dabble with snares, you want to dabble with footholds, uh, depending on what you want to start with. It's, it's very, very inexpensive. I mean, a person, if you had, I don't know, say you had 80 acres, let's just use that as kind of a, a go-by or something like that, or even a 40 acres, uh, you can get by with just a handful of footholds, you know, and uh, pricing-wise, you know, obviously everything's gone up in price over the last couple of years just because of demand and, um, you know, less manufacturing going on because of workforce and everything else. But you can get four or five traps, footholds, you know, size one and a half, size two, maybe size three, uh, it all depends on your state regulations. Every state's got a jaw restriction of how wide that, how big that trap can be. Uh, so please check your local regs on that. Uh, however, you know, a, a trap number two, it can be a Bridger, it can be a Duke, it can be a Minnesota brand, an MB, you know, 550. It could be Duke's got a new five, uh, 550 out there that hit the market last year. It's been, I've caught dogs on it. It's done a really, really nice trap for the money. Uh, no BS. They've got the Canine um, uh, Extreme traps. I'm a huge, huge fan of those those traps. They are definitely built to handle some some good animals and, and durability wise too. Um, but yeah, you can get into that. Then you need a staking system. You know that can be rebar, it can be earth anchors. Uh, there's different types of traps or different type of anchor system, anchoring systems out there. Uh, I run them both. You know, if I'm doing a run and gun type deal, or if I'm traveling to trap, I typically run earth anchors because it's less weight in my pickup. Uh, if I'm running a trap line locally, I always use rebar because I got a stake puller. I can get those stakes out, move them. They're all reusable. Typically, earth anchors, uh, and this is, again, typically, they're usually not reusable. Now, they do make some out there that are reusable, um, which is nice. And then outside of that, I mean, you got a boil and wax your traps. You don't need to wax them. I encourage people to wax them. It speeds the traps up along with uh, just kind of keeps the rust down on them. Rust is good for traps for a little bit to get that dye to adhere to it. But past that, you really don't want rusty traps. Um, from a snaring perspective, you don't need really anything except for a staking system, a, st- a snare support, and then snares. Snaring is probably the cheapest way to get into trapping. Um, it's very, very simple to get into. Uh, I love running a snare line. Uh, there's still, I mean, there's still a lot of tips, tips and tricks. I'm not, not saying it's, it's the easiest way of easy or anybody can just pick up a snare and go set it and you know, be successful. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it still, but from a pricing point, snaring is the easy the cheapest to get into mm-hmm. uh, from a foothold because you got to bed the trap and that i mean we don't have time to talk about bedding a trap but bedding a trap blending the trap depending on the dirt if you're going through that freeze thaw i mean you got to use antifreeze some sort of an antifreeze dirt whether it's mixed with flakes or salt or a true wax dirt i personally use wax dirt uh probably 90 percent of the time if i'm doing coon sets or if i got to do a remake set 
uh, depending on the remake set, I'm not always, my confidence on a remake isn't always as high as what it is on a new spot. Now, I know there's some, some old, old-timers out there that have done really, really well. They'll catch, you know, the same trap, the same set. They'll pick out four or five dogs out of. I personally have not had that luck. Having a, a recatch is not uncommon, but it's far more common not to have anything hit that again because it's been so disturbed, depending on the critter. Um, I've done very, very well if I've got a female coyote in a trap, and then the next day I'll pick up a male or two days, three days, mm-hmm. just because that smell that Yeah, that scent's laying around. And, yep. and, you know, that kind of brings in, that brings scent into it. Like yep. scent and attractants, what's, what do you need? What's important? You just talk to us on that topic yep. a little bit. And that, and that's, I mean, Ford Chevy Dodge, when you start getting into that, the nice thing about a snare line is typically you don't need to worry about running any uh, scents or attractants for the end. I guess the most, if there's some key takeaways, this is going to be a key takeaway point is scent free. You're dealing with wild animals that have got a superior smelling smell, right? They can smell so well. So everything needs my gloves. I mean, the gloves I use to set my traps are the only gloves I use to set the traps. And then when I bait and lure my sets for a foothold, I'm using different gloves because I don't want any scent on those traps. I've done everything I possibly could to keep them scent free ish, right? There's always going to be some sort of, you know, lingering scent, scent on them. If you're doing your sets right, you know, with the, the attractants and the smells and the visual, if you have anything visual, um, that should take take part and fix everything. But, again, you don't want scent. You don't want to touch stuff with your bare hands. I know some people can do that. Uh, in general, I've never been in a population area of, of coyotes or a bobcats, whatever else, where I feel like I could risk doing that. If you're in a high-density area or even an urban environment where you have, you know, that rural-suburban you know suburban, you know transition line where they deal with a lot of people and you – you know, you're going to work and you see the same three, two or three coyotes every single day. You could probably get away with a little bit more with them because they're used to that human interaction. I'm typically spending more of my time in the, the it's more wild, if that makes sense. There's less yeah. people, less population of people. And so anything that tips them off is not a good thing. Um, but yeah, so since, depending on the time of year, I mean, you got stuff that we call loud in the industry. So it's a loud smelling. Typically, it's usually got a lot of skunk essence. Um, you know, I'm one of the few people I think, and for sure, probably in this office, but I love the smell of skunk because it just takes me back to happy places with trapping. <laughs> um, I definitely like it. I do think you're in the minority <laughs> yep. on that one, Ben. Yep. I, I open my buckets up every once in a while just to smell them. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so if you can do, you can have something that's too loud. And so what that does is it's just too much scent going on for the animal and it kind of pushes them away a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got other things that, you know, when it gets super, super cold out, that's when you need a loud lure. You know, that's when you need that smell to go because everything freezes, right? And there's uh, a lot of the stuff is anti-freezed. You know, it's treated with something that, that helps it not to freeze. But at the same time, when it's negative 20, it's still negative 20. You know, some of that stuff, you just need that skunk essence because that's the only thing that's going to be still smelling because everything freezes. Um, earlier in the season, I like to use a little bit sweeter, milder stuff. Uh, one of my favorite early season stuff is called Just Mice from Southern Snares. I think we, we sell it out on our stores, on, online and everything. Um, and all it is is just ground up mice. That's it. It's a natural food source for everybody. It's not too crazy. I'll add that. And then and that's using my bait, and I'll use some sort of a, an attractant, some sort of a lure. Um, and my lure I use all depends on the time of year. Um, I'm a firm believer of using something that is attractive to all species because if I, you know, certain areas I'm trapping, I might have a bobcat walk by, I may have a fox walk by, I may have a coyote walk by. I don't know what's going to walk by, but I want all three of them to stop and visit me. Mm-hmm. So I want to use something that's not going to be appalling to one or the other. 
you know, and so, um, and even talking about game species, when you start looking at talking to a person, hey, do you see any fox? Or, hey, I'm always seeing all these fox around. Well, don't focus on coyotes then. Because guess what coyotes will kill and eat if they're in that same area? Fox, right? Yeah. So focus on your fox because there's probably not that many coyotes in the area. And vice versa. If I want to go trap fox, but it's in a high coyote den- density, I know my odds are not going to be that great. So I'm going to focus more on the coyotes knowing that I will catch a fox if it comes by. Uh, and there's some really good, really, really good books and articles out there. Uh, there's, a, there's just a pile of information out there right now um, available for trapping just to, to, to figure it out, you know, from, from making your sets, to what lures and baits to use, to what time of the years. But a gland lure is something that's really good during the breeding season. So right now, all my coyote sets would have coyote gland of some sort. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that makes sense because they just have breeding on their mind. Yep, so. yep. And then, you know, the hunger, right? Um, Minnesota brands got something called Hiawatha Valley, and it is some of the rankest bait you can ever use. I'd never use it early season. I know some people do and have had success. I prefer to wait to use it until later in the year. Mm-hmm. That kind of comes into that loudness factor you yep. were talking about, right? Yep. And they're hungry and they're going to freaking eat anything they can, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they're going to chew on anything. They, uh, but yeah, so you really only need a couple lures, a couple baits. Uh, I like to use urine, but at, you know, fox or bobcat or coyote, um, Honestly, I don't know how much it really matters. Uh, you know, my male short hair, I used to always bring him on my trap line too before I set uh, on a noose property. I'd just let him out. We'd just go walk. And I'd just see what everything, he, if he keyed in off an area, I'd go over there and sure enough, it would be a pee post or it'd be a, a toilet or something like that. You know, they call the cat toilets the same place they go to the bathroom and then pee post for coyotes. Um, two track roads are a fantastic place to trap on because everything likes to work a two track road. Yeah. You can definitely see a lot of, uh, you got to be careful to make sure you know, it's a private two track road, not a public, uh, please don't, don't do that on a public road. Cause a lot of people walk their dogs on it, right? It's public land, you know, in the off season, that's what I'm doing. I'm running my dogs in public, just walking them, you know, exercising them, making sure I don't want to shake them when they're at home because they're all jacked up, still in shape and mm-hmm. trying to get them out. Yeah. Of shape there's, now. there's enough negative connectivity with yeah. trapping anyways. We don't need to make it any yeah, worse exactly. for sure. So yeah. just make sure to be educated on stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so say, you know, somebody brand new to trap and like, where do I set up? So you talked a little bit about private roads. Like, are, are you thinking like fence lines or, or how, how do you know? Just like look at an area and it's like, that would be a good place to trap. The best, the best way to do to figure out any part property, if, especially if you haven't been on the property a lot or, you know, it's a neighbor's property or a friend's property or somebody called you say, Hey, I got a cow problem or coon problem or whatever else. The best thing to do is get boots on the ground and look. And you always set on sign. And so I've learned over the years that I can pull critters from a distance, you know, say maybe 100 yards or so, depending on what the, the scent is and the wind conditions and the humidity and, you know, how the sun's doing and everything else. Uh, but at the same time, I always want to set pretty close to sign. If I'm not seeing sign, but it looks too dang good not to set a trap there, I'll still set a trap, but it's going to be far less successful than it is if I'm actually seeing coyote or whatever animal activity I'm looking for in that that core area. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean that's that's rule number two to pay attention to, or a takeaway from this podcast is set on sign. Yeah, for sure. And then another thing to keep in the back of your mind is like if you're out deer hunting and your goal is coyote control, like remember where you've seen them, like whether it's a you know like the side of a creek or yep. you know some sort of inch point or you know like if you've seen them there that is sign yeah and it the deer hunters if any if any hunter out there wanted to get into trapping and whatever hunter would have more of a a leg up on someone else it would be deer hunters 
because the way you're looking at critters is how they're moving through their property. And that's everything what deer hunters do, right? Bird hunters, we're just walking. We're following our dogs. Their dogs are taking us to the birds. Waterfowl hunters, you're usually pretty stationary. You do get to see a lot of things going on in the world, waking up in the mornings, and you do get to see coyote crossing. You know, over in that corner post, I've always seen this coyote. Every morning I've hunted, I always see that coyote come up about 8.30 in the morning, he walks by. Well, that's good, right? But a deer hunter, they're paying attention to those travel lines, those pinch points, those low points. You know, you can look at a piece of ground that looks absolutely flat, then you get out there and you start walking, and then sure enough, there's a little divot out there or a little washout mm-hmm. that you can't see, but it's just, it's a highway. Yep, and, you know, for anyone that's been out coyote hunting too, like, you know they're going to take those low points so they're not going to be seen and, you know. Yep. But, yeah, and then it depends too on the species of animal. You know, um, a coyote will be a little bit more uh, apt to be in the open than a bobcat will. A bobcat will stick very, very tight to cover typically. They'll come out of the cover, but typically they're always going to be pretty tight to it. And so if I'm setting a bobcat line, I'm not against like all the way into the cover, doing a blind set or even just dirt hole set right on the edge of that cover versus a coyote, I'm going to be maybe a few feet off that cover. Not saying that they don't use that edge cover tight, but typically they're going to be a couple feet off of it. Mm-hmm. They're not into a, the thickest stuff like a bobcat would be. A fox, is kind of, they just kind of do what they want to do. <laughs> yep. They bounce around. All right. Well, you know, that was a ton of great information there. So, you know, I'd like to end this on, on maybe a lighter note. You, you know, you spent a ton of time in the field, in the woods. You must have some pretty wild stories about trapping. So what is, what's your craziest trapping story? You know, I uh, just saw this, and I've only seen it one other time, and it was, and I've talked to other old-time trappers about it, but having two front legs in the same trap. Try to figure that out. Like, what what was going on? Because typically you set your, you know, your footholds, so that way they're stepping into a front leg catch. I mean, there's a lot of rear leg catches that happen too, and, you know, you do your best to, to direct the animal directly how you want them to hit the trap, you know, but... To have two front legs in the trap, the only thing I can think of is they pounced it. Like they jumped up and pounced down, not knowing the trap was there, but like trying to get whatever was in the dirt hole to pop out type deal, like a young dog. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the craziest thing I've, I've seen on that one. Um, other times, it's always a, a, bl- a huge blessing, but you're going to run your trap line for coyotes or fox or coon or whatever else, and you got a, a magical bobcat sitting in it. You know, and the funny thing with bobcat is that, you know, we put them on a pedestal and uh, this is no offense to the cat lovers out there or cat owners out there, but they just, if you want to trap bobcats, just hang around your cat. I mean, the bobcats are so frustrating and we make them sound like they're so smart, but they're just a cat. Like, <laughs> you just look at your cat, like they just sit there and start spoken, the spoken like a true dog lover. Right yeah, there. yeah, right. <laughs> but no, I mean, it, cats are f- for sure easier to trap than any canine out there. It's just a matter of you got to have the cat. Versus a coyote's got a bigger range, in my opinion. They're going to do some more searching. Uh, they're a little bit more aggressive on everything. A cat is just a cat. Like, they may sit there and walk up to your trap set and sit down and stare at it for three hours and walk away. And they do that for four days straight. And then one day they just walk by and they act like they've never seen it before and then you catch them. Like, it's just the craziest thing with Bobcat. But that's one thing I love about running the trap line. And then, you know, it, the, the trial and error that you get, just it's so frustrating but so rewarding. You know, it's... Um, I definitely equate it to rough grouse hunting for sure. Because once you finally shoot a rough grouse on the wing over a pointing dog or over a flushing dog, even that you're just like, I can't believe this happened, you know? Because you yeah, just that sense of accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, there's a lot of times you'll walk up to your trap set and 
you know, and you look and you're like, how in the heck did I not catch that? Because you can see tracks everywhere. And you go over your trap set and you learn, like, oh, well, it was frozen. Or, oh, I didn't have it bedded correctly. And they felt, you know, felt the trap move on them. But, yeah, some crazy stories for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, doubles and triples, not critters. I mean, that's always fun. Uh, coon, if you want a lot of activity and a lot of good stories, I mean, definitely run a lot of the DPs, the, the coon cuffs or the dog-proof traps. Um, I mean, there's times that we've had 12 down and we've got 12. You know, that's a pretty cool picture and pretty, you know, fun story to talk about. But there's just, if you got 12 down, you got 12, you got a coon problem. Yeah, you absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and even success, I mean, if somebody's getting into it, guys, I would tell you, and gals out there too, don't get discouraged if you're not having success right at first. There's a lot of good books out there. Um, reach out to a mentor if you can. Call these trapping companies, ask them questions. Uh, we're partnered with, you know, some really, really good partners that would be willing. We got, you know, Cat Creek, we got Dakota Line, we got Minnesota Brand, we got Kendall at No BS. I mean, all these guys will help you out. You know, we all want to see the sport continue and this tradition continue. Because again, I mean, we have we're fighting negative feedback, right? The, the public is not pro trapping. However, it is so efficient and effective to run a trap line to control the game species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just so much misinformation out there, and then you 100%. know that's kind of the goal of this podcast is uh, yep. you know open people up to the possibilities, the benefits of trapping, realize that it's just part of the full circle of life here. Yep, it is, and you know it. It's it's mean as it sounds i mean how many pictures do we see floating around the internet with a predator killing their their pet you know seeing a coyote run off with fluffy or running off with a dog i mean i still got a picture saved in my phone of a jack russell terrier like that was is being carried away by a coyote and like i'd put my money on jack like jacks are mean like they can be right i mean they're not a jack terrier by any means but like they've got some spunk but a coyote don't care a bobcat doesn't mountain lion doesn't care you know a wolf doesn't care Certain states is legal to now trap wolves, you know, and man, it's just it, the impact. It's like a, it's a thankless activity, essentially. You have to have a passion for it because right now with the fur prices being so low, what's the benefit? Well, don't don't do it for the money. Do it for the deer. Do it for the turkeys. Do it for the game birds. You know, do it for the rabbits. I can tell you what I haven't seen. I haven't yet to see a single cottontail rabbit in North Dakota while out bird hunting. Really? Yeah, something's eating them. I bet you it's mink. I don't know. There's a lot of mink up here. I see a lot of mink. But, yeah, so, I mean, at the same time, it's just the health, the health of the herd. We can do it with deer. We can do it with uh, the omnivores. You know, it's not, it's not too bad. It's not too difficult. Um, it's much more difficult with predators. So, anyways, I appreciate you guys tuning in, and thanks, Mike, for having me. And uh, I hope it opens up more stores, uh, more, excuse me, more eyes to, to trapping and I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, my dogs are my everything, right? And I know there's a lot of dog lovers out there that are anti-trapping. But if you had a bad experience, I, I apologize. I mean, I've had my dogs and someone else's traps before, too. Um, I've had scary situations happen on trap lines. Not my own trap line, but being with people with dogs and into a trap line. Mm-hmm. Um, don't hate the trapper. You know, at the end of the day, we all want the same goal, right? We want more game animals. Yeah. And that just reminds me previously in the conversation, like just when you're training your dog, like train them with those traps, you know, like train them not to freak out when something like that does happen. I mean, that was, there's a ton of great takeaways in here, but I mean, to me, that was one that really stuck out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Be smart about it. I mean, wrap your traps, 
with cloth, you know, with a towel or something like that, duct tape, electrical tape. Like, don't let them get the full, full force because <laughs> I personally never had um, a non-target animal, whether it's a farm cat, a house cat, a farm dog, a house dog. I've, I've had them in my traps before, but I've never had one that had to go to the vet, period. All right. The, if you're doing the trapping correctly, you're not, it's not going to injure the animal. It might sting them, but it's not going to rip out their shoulder. It's not going to break their leg in half. If you're using the wrong trap in the wrong area, bad things can happen. But that's why it's so important that you follow the rules and regs and just kind of use common sense. I mean, don't trap out someone's back door. Yep. Pretty smart, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right, Ben, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks, and, Mike. you know, if, if anybody's looking for trapping equipment, um, head to Shields. We got it here, and we got a lot of experts just like Ben, you know, at our stores that can, that can talk to you about what you need, help you, you know, get set up for your specific application and, uh, you know, join the, join the trapping community. Yep. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening. And see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.